Good morning, Real Life Church. Please take your seats. If anyone fancies moving forward, you're very welcome to. I feel a bit lonely here, but you don't have to. If you're cosy where you are, I know how terribly awful it is to be moved from your seat. Good morning, Real Life Church. Grab your drinks, grab your seats. If you do want to come a little bit further forward, I'm not saying that the blessing is down here at the front, but I think it might be. I'm just saying. don't know whether you're maybe closer to God or I'm not really sure, but if you want to move yourselves forward, you are very welcome to. If we have not met yet, my name is Melanie. I'm married to Stuart, who is supposed to be joining me today, but instead has decided to be poorly, which I think is quite extreme to get out of speaking with me. We very rarely speak together because preparing together when you are wildly different characters is somewhat challenging. So we have in the past agreed for the sake of our marriage and harmony in the home that we will... Um, not do that. Um, But lately, in the growing up years, we've been a little convicted that maybe we ought to bring our gifts next to each other on the stage from time to time. So I did say this morning, it does feel very extreme, Stuart Crane, to get out of speaking with me. But I have a great substitute today. So Jeremy will sub in as Stuart Crane. So if you're listening online, Stuart is not putting on a fake South African accent. He is, in fact, Jeremy Douglas-Jones, okay? Because he's got a real um, South African accent. So we've been giving away some books in our Heaven Started Counting series. So last week, I gave away three copies of 50 Reasons Why Jesus Died by John Piper, super book, and The Final Days of Jesus, and I've totally blanked on the author of that, but again, a super book. This week, something like that, yes. Kostenberger? Yeah. Okay. This week, I want to give away a children's book. So if you've got kids in your house and you do not own this book, you should. So if you've got kids in your house and you do not own this book, it's called The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. It is by far the greatest retelling of the gospel I have ever read, to be honest. It's beautiful. And the illustrations are beautiful and the concept of the curtain being torn and what was one at that point is just glorious. So if you have kids in your house and you don't own this book, Anna, would you like it? Yes. Come and grab one. Mel, come and grab one. And then Yink, I've I've got two. I tell you what, Julia, I'm going to get one to you if that's all right. So I've got three and I'm going to get one to you, Julia. It is an absolutely beautiful book. If you are a grown-up and you have not read it, I thoroughly recommend it. It's a great retelling of the gospel. So this Easter, we are in our Easter series and we're looking at the three days of Easter from heaven's perspective. We want to consider what it looked like for our God who is one and three, but who was also counting to three. We want to consider what he saw on those days. So what he saw on the Friday, Saturday, and the Sunday, and what he was counting on 
from heaven's perspective. We want to be asking ourselves, I think, all the time, what does heaven see when it looks on at this? What is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doing? And I think that takes a little bit of training and requires a little bit of a different way of looking at things. Last Sunday, we looked at day one. Sorry, my phone's doing something weird, so I'm going to have to go old school and get my notes. Last Sunday, we looked at day one, which was Friday, and we looked at the cross and how it was planned long ago by the Father that the Son would be crushed for the sins of the world. Charlotte did us a brilliant 10 minutes on the Trinity. Um, If you missed that, you can catch up online, but also we did teach that on real life school. So next time it comes up, get yourself booked in. And instead of hearing 10 minutes on the Trinity, you can hear nearly an hour and a half on it. We were stirred in the preach and the worship time to look at things from heaven's perspective. This week is day two, and we're looking at the Sabbath, which is exciting. So I will speak, and then Jeremy, my substitute husband, will come and join so naughty, I'll get told off for that later, Uh, will come and join me for a Sabbath sidebar, all right? So before we get into the story, which is all about rest, I'm going to make you work a little bit. So I hope you've come ready to um, stand up or sit down. So I'm curious as to how you Sabbath or how you rest or how you would like to Sabbath and how you would like to rest. So if you've got young children in the house, just pretend you don't for a moment, all right? I know it's glorious. Just think for a moment what it would look like when they're grown up and you get to choose what you would do to Sabbath. So on your Sabbath, would you prefer to be on your own or with others? So if on your own, you can stay seated. If you'd like to Sabbath with other people, please stand up. Separates out the introverts and extroverts, really, doesn't it? Let's be honest. Okay, on your own. Okay, excellent. You can all take a seat. Would you, on your Sabbath, prefer to have your eyes on a screen watching a movie or your nose in a book? So if you're watching a movie, please stay seated. If your nose is in a book, please stand up. Ah, Interesting. Okay, please sit down. If you had a bit of money in the bank account and you got to go out for food, would you prefer to go out for breakfast or dinner? So if you want to go out for breakfast, stand up. If you want to go out for dinner, stay seated. So breakfast or dinner? Stand up if you're breakfast. I'm breakfast, yeah. I'm stood up. Breakfast or dinner? Oh, that is so... See, I would choose breakfast every day of the week to go out for. Oh, interesting. Okay, next one. Would you prefer to play a game, like a board game, or watch some sport? So if you're playing a game, stand up. If you're watching sport, look at that. Yeah, okay. There's a lot of men in the house seated. Okay, and a few women like that. Excellent, thank you. Would you, on your Sabbath, prefer to make something, so something creative, or go somewhere? So make something, stand up. Go somewhere, stay sitting down. Make something 
Okay, that does not surprise me at all, yes? Knowing some of you, that makes perfect sense, thank you. On your Sabbath, would you prefer to go out for coffee and cake or beer and crisps? So, beer and crisps, stand up. Coffee and cake, stay seated. Beer and crisps. Beer and crisps, coffee and cake. Beer and crisps, yes, that does not surprise me either. Please sit down. Next one. Would you prefer to be in the hot tub or a bit of open swimming in a nice lake? So, open swimming in a nice icy lake. Please stand up. Yes. Come on. Yeah, hot tub people, you can stay seated. Last one. When you Sabbath, would you like a bit of retail therapy or you'd rather do anything but? So retail therapy, up your stand. So go and do a little bit of shopping. Anything but. Please stay seated. Yeah, brilliant. Look at that. Look at that. Neil Kersley, a bit of retail therapy. I like. Records. All right, then. So a certain type of retail therapy. Lovely. Excellent. Thank you. Sorry I made you work hard on the morning where we're talking about rest. We're going to look at the Sabbath. Neil's going to read our story for us this morning. It's taken from Luke 23, 50 to 56. Now, there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish High Council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea. And he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. Thank you very much, Neil. And because um, I really want to get into what I feel like God is saying to us, I've, I've asked Jeremy to come and share the Sabbath sidebar right at the start of it. Because I think it's important when we dive into this passage to first understand the theology behind the Sabbath, to first get our heads straight about what it means that God would call us to be a people, that Sabbath, before we look at why Jesus Sabbathed. Thanks, Melanie. So I've got some notes that were prepared earlier by Stuart, um, and I'm going to do my very best to make them my own. To be fair, they're really good notes, and they're pretty much what I would have said, but I guess the question to ask with the Sabbath is where to start, um, and it's at the beginning, or the middle, or the end. Uh, it, it is part of God's great story. It's there at the beginning in Genesis. It's part of what God did. It's part of His creation model. It's part of the way that He works. It's a model for people and God's relationship with people. It's a model through the Old Testament for how God's people work, their rhythm in life, and how they rest, and how they honor Him in that. It's a picture of Jesus and how He reflects creation 
and how he reflects what's going to come when he returns. And as I say, it's a picture of what life will be like for us at the end. So let's start at the beginning. We, we first encounter the Sabbath right at the beginning of the Bible in the account of creation, Genesis 1 verse 1 through 2, 2 verse 3. And specifically, if we look at Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It's reinforced, it's striking that it's not his creation that's resting, it's God that is doing the resting on that first Sabbath day. And in creation, built into creation, is this order, this rhythm, this pattern of six days of fruitful labor and rest for one. The word Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word, Shabbat. Shabbat literally means cease. It doesn't mean the day that people rest. It means cease, stop. The Sabbath is to cease activity, in particular activity that is fruitful in labor. So humans are built in the image of God, and we we see that because we're built in the image of God, he ordains that we follow that same rhythm of six days of labor and one day rest. And if we just think through our our own history over the last few hundred years. That hasn't always been the case. We haven't always lived in a society that has honored that rhythm, and we've seen the fruit of that. So the rest day was for man to cease from activity and to worship the Lord and to have fellowship with him. It wasn't just to have a holiday. It was for God and man to be in fellowship and to thank him for all that he had provided for them. And then we see a little bit further on in Genesis, sin enters the world and breaks everything. And it breaks the Sabbath in a sense as well. It breaks labor in a sense as well. So what was set out to be six days of fruitful labor becomes six days of hardship and toil. And what was set out to be a time of spiritual rest and refreshment becomes a moment of alienation and guilt where people don't feel like they're in fellowship with God, but rather separated from God. When we move on into the Exodus, we see the, the, the law of the Sabbath written into the Ten Commandments by Moses. We see Israel as a a freed nation coming out of slavery in Egypt, standing before a mountain as the commandments are written, and um, one of those commandments is to observe the Sabbath again. And that is striking if you think about the contrast of what their life was like in Egypt. They didn't get a seventh-day rest. They worked 24-7 all the time, unceasing labor. 
And to write that into the law, God was writing into the, the shape of God's people the fact that they were to honor God with their time. They were to honor him with their time. In, in a sense, it's kind of like a time tithe. It's you saying, I'm relinquishing control and I'm honoring you with this time. It was also a reminder that they were no longer slaves, that he had set them free from an oppressive tyrant and that they were now free to honor God. They were free to honor God in their work for six days and they were free to honor God in their rest and they were to rely on him for their provision. So Israel were to use this day to remind themselves of God's salvation, his deliverance, and they were to enjoy his patience and provision. And then we move on to Jesus, and, and Melanie's going to do a wonderful job of, of expounding that, that rest that happened between his crucifixion and his resurrection. But Jesus spoke about the Sabbath. He taught on the Sabbath a lot. In fact, he called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And one of the things he taught is that the Sabbath is made for man. That was in Mark 2, verses 23 to 27. The Sabbath is made for man. And the point of that is that um, the Sabbath is for all mankind, for all people everywhere. It exists as a creation ordinance from the Lord, and it is there to help humanity flourish. And if we look at research today, that confirms that a six-day work, seven-day rest rhythm is the healthiest for men, for people. It's the healthiest. It makes us more productive. It makes us more capable of flourishing. He also taught often about the misunderstandings around the Sabbath. He he, he taught in a context where the religious leaders of his day had taken a commandment that God had given to Israel and was meant to be a joy, and they turned it into a burden. They turned it into a heavy yoke that weighed down on the people and made them feel that they were failing at every turn. It was riddled with detail on all the types of things that they could or couldn't do. And Jesus challenged those teachings of men very often and clarified what the Sabbath was actually meant to be for. But as much as it is about a day and a rhythm, the Sabbath is also about a person and a story. It is about Jesus Christ. It is about the fact that, that we can rest in him. And in the end, we will find our final rest and our perfect rest in him. In a sense, he is the Sabbath. So Jesus, after resting in the grave, on the Sabbath day, rose to a new week and a new creation in a garden, a story about the beginning and a story about the end. So in Jesus, we realize that we will only find true rest in him. So what about us? We find ourselves in a season now between Jesus' resurrection and his return in glory. And while we wait for that true rest to come, we engage in Sabbath regularly. We engage in that in the middle of a world that runs 24-7 and a place where it's increasingly difficult to switch off 
from everything that's happening around us. And by doing so, we do a few things. By observing the Sabbath, we who are made in the image of God reflect the Creator who made us. We remind ourselves by ceasing from work that we are not God and that we cannot control everything. We remind ourselves that um, all we have comes from Him, and He is the one who provides for us. It's actually an act of denial of self-sufficiency. We also get to enjoy His gifts to us and recognize Him as the source of all of them. We show the world where our priorities lie and where our hope is. And we get to enjoy Jesus, who is the true source of our rest. Did I make that in 10 minutes? Okay. I will leave the rest to you, Melanie. Thank you very much, Jeremy. That was brilliant, extremely helpful. So as Jesus was in the grave, and we have this strange day where where there's been masses of activity on the Friday and the disciples have fled because they actually think all hope is lost. They actually think it's the end of the story. They've forgotten what he said about the third day he would rise again. And then you've got this day where God rests. You've got this day where all activity ceases. And there's loads of, you can read up on it. I I don't recommend it, to be honest. But there's loads of debate over what happened to Jesus on that day. I would stick to what the Bible says. Sorry if that's a little controversial. Um, But I would stick with what the Bible says. It says on that day, he rested. There was a Sabbath on that day. The following day, he rose up out of the grave. And it was taken on by God that his sacrifice was right and just and enough and we were all set free so I'd say on that day God rested but what I observe about that day is there are two lots of people on that day so there's a Joseph on the Friday night who asked for the body of Jesus and then observed the Sabbath and then there's the women and so what I think heaven looks on at on that day is what God's people are up to and what they're doing. And so I just want to take a little look at Joseph because he's the main kind of guy in the story that we heard and a little look at the women. And then I want to ask us to consider being like Joseph and like the women who prepared and got the body ready but then observed the Sabbath and rested So I think heaven looks in on a good and righteous man. You can see that in the story. You can see that's what Joseph was called. So Joseph was part of the Jewish high council. He was part of the Sanhedrin. So it was like the highest Jewish authority. He was likely to be a Pharisee, but it was very clear that he loved Jesus. So Joseph was a Jew that loved and followed Jesus So he was a Jew who had had the Messiah revealed to him. And he was a Jew who knew who Jesus was. He was a Jew who was waiting in his heart for the kingdom of heaven to come. So even when he handled the dead body of the Savior, even when he literally held the limp body that to everybody else looked like it was the end, he had in his heart the kingdom of heaven 
heaven. He also, which I don't know if we fully understand this when we read the story, took such a risk going to Pilate to ask for the body. Because in asking Pilate for the body, what he was saying was, I'm associated with this man. I'm one of them. So the rest had fled and run away. He went to see Pilate and said, that man, that body, I want it. And so what he actually did was put his own life on the line in order to retrieve the body of Jesus. It's the kind of thing that that men and women all around the world do all the time that we know nothing about putting their life on the line literally for their faith. To call yourself a Christian in parts of our world is dangerous. For Joseph, that was a dangerous decision and a dangerous act. And I think when I read this story, I think that's what heaven's waiting for. That's what heaven's counting on on the earth is men and women who, no matter what is going on around them, are good and righteous and carry the kingdom in their hearts. That no matter what they handle, no matter what they touch, no matter what they see, in their hearts they are men who know that the kingdom's coming and they're men who live with that as a reality And I think when I look at the story, I think there are many things that heaven is counting on. That's one of them. Not counting on men to be perfect, because Christ has done that job, but counting on men who will carry the kingdom in their hearts, who no matter what is happening all around them, even if they don't agree with all the decisions that are being made, that in their hearts they carry the kingdom and they act on it. I think heaven's looking in now at us, to be honest, in real life and asking the question, are there men in the room who will carry the kingdom in their hearts, who will act in good and righteous ways, who no matter what they have to handle or hold, no matter the disappointment, no matter the pain, no matter the cost, will pay it because they know and love the Saviour. What happens on the Sabbath, I think, is that we do communicate to God himself that we trust him above all else. And we will cease from doing whatever very important activity we're normally up to. And we will wait on him. And we will listen first to what he says. And it's not what the world says around us. It's what he says. And I think heaven is still watching for that. I think it's what we're wanting in real life we're wanting men good and righteous men that carry the kingdom when we take communion later that's the thing I want you to consider am I one who carries the kingdom in my heart no matter what am I one who will pay the price and I think particularly in this story we're addressing the men at that point Joseph was a man who was good and righteous and carried the kingdom in his heart and then you've got the women in the story. And I love, I love the women in the, in the three days because what you see of the women is they're there at the cross. So they are there. Like when, when the stories are told, they're named. You know who they are standing there. The women are at the cross. They then follow the body to the grave and they minister to the body of Jesus at the grave. And then they're there again when he rises from death 
What you see is the women are present with Jesus. The women are there ministering to Jesus. The women are there handling the body of Jesus. The women are there. And it costs them. It costs them their reputation. It costs them financially to, to buy what is required, what is needed to anoint the body ready. It costs them, those women, but they are there every time. They seem to follow the Saviour wherever he goes. And I think that's what heaven is waiting on. I think that's what heaven is leaning in on in the story. Is the Saviour is dead. The Saviour is in the grave. What are God's people up to? What are they doing? Where would they be found? And the women are found with the Saviour every time. And I love that. I observe women like that. I watch them and think, oh my gosh, there they are again, worshipping through their pain, worshipping through their disappointment, ministering to the Savior. I think it's something women do well. And I I feel like partly I want to commend you in this church for being women who, no matter what, worship, no matter what, get to Jesus, And I think we need to continually be those kind of women who are found with the Saviour. So when he says it's time to rest, we need to be the kind of women that listen to that. Because the Saviour said it, and we need to find our rest. We need to wait for things. We need to trust him for things. We need to be like those women. I think the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are looking on the earth today for men and women like this, are looking for men and women that will minister, will carry the kingdom in their heart, will worship no matter what, will, will obey his laws, will look different to the people around them, will walk upstream, will follow his ways no matter what it costs. And that, for me, when heaven starts counting, it's not just counting the days down to a day where everything will be made new. It is also counting on men and women that will join his cause and will stand with him and will act like he acts. So life from heaven's perspective, I think, looks completely different. So one of the things I'd love us to do is take communion together as part of the preach. And we did this last week. We're also going to do it next week as well. And I want us to consider for a moment what it looks like for us to be these kind of women, to be these kind of men that observe the Sabbath and keep it holy that behave like God has asked us to behave, that that line our lives up with him no matter what it looks like all around us. I want you as men to sit there when you take the communion and consider what Jesus is like, what he did for you, what his model is to you, that he himself carried the kingdom in his heart even at the point of death, even in the Sabbath rest and especially on the day when he rose bodily from the grave, what it means for you to follow him, to be good and righteous men. And I want to say to you, some of you men literally feel like you've handled death in your hands, but I want to ask you to keep the kingdom in your heart, to keep going, 
to keep believing, to keep trusting. I think for Joseph, that must have been an incredible moment to handle a dead saviour while holding on to the truth that he lives and that he still has much more to do. I can't even imagine a more conflicting set of emotions than physically retrieving the body and dealing with it. To be carrying hope in your heart when it literally looks like in your hands all hope is lost. And I want to stir us to be a people like that. I want to stir us to be like the women and to worship our way through it all, minister our way through it all, be found following the Saviour wherever he goes, whatever he does. To be found at his death on day one in Sabbath rest on day two and celebrating on day three, to be those who know how to do it all, to be those kind of women that know exactly how to rest, how to stop and how to cease, how to mourn, how to celebrate, how to work, to be those kind of women. And I don't think, for what it's worth, those are the super women I don't mean that you suddenly need to morph into Wonder Woman or what I think it is, is the kind of women that have handed over their entire lives to Jesus and follow him wherever he goes, no matter what. So we'll follow him to the cross, into rest and out the other side. No matter what the price, we'll follow him. So I realised we didn't ask anyone to get these lovely little communion cups. So I... Ideally, perhaps a few people can come and start. I was about to say throwing out, but that's probably not what we say when we are talking about communion. There are some gluten-free wafers. The wafers in the little pods, sorry about the little pods, are not gluten-free. I don't know why, because they could just be rice wafers, but they're not. So there are gluten-free crackers if you need that. Um, to have separately. I'd love you to just take a moment to commit yourself to the Saviour. I'd love you to consider, if you are a woman in the house, I'd love you to consider what it means that you would be like the women in the story and you would follow the Saviour wherever he goes. If you don't know him, you might consider this a time to get to know him If you are not a believer, you don't need to take this meal because his blood that was shed for you, body broken for you, it's not personal yet. If you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus, that is fine. You can do that. If you are a part of another church, you are welcome to eat this meal with us. We take the bread to remember his body that was broken for us. We drink the wine to well, it's grape juice. We drink the grape juice to remember his blood that was shed for us. Year 10 plus, I didn't spell this out last week. I'm so sorry. But you are welcome to take it if you know and love Jesus. You are welcome to share this meal with us. So we invite you to be a part of this morning meeting and a part of the sermon because we consider you guys old enough to cope with what's going on around here if you want to eat the bread and the wine it's because you know and love Jesus too and I'm going to give you a moment to just commit yourself again to Jesus tell him you'd like to be the kind of man 
that holds the kingdom of God in your heart no matter what. Tell him you'd like to be the kind of woman that follows the Savior wherever he goes, does whatever he says. If you're listening online, please grab some bread, a bit of Ribena, whatever you've got, and take communion with us. Jesus. Jesus. And I want to say in application two things about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made that we would rest. And it's in the Easter story for a reason. So Jesus died and was crushed for our sin on the Friday and on the Saturday God rested. It's in the creation story for a reason. It's there to show us a model of how to live It isn't that God was so worn out and he needed a break. It's that actually he is showing us a model of how to live. And so he rested God. God himself rested in order that we might rest, in order that we might learn how to do this. So I would say true rest means knowing Jesus True rest means knowing Jesus. My heart is at home and at peace and resting when I know him. If you know Jesus, that's true rest. If you don't know Jesus, you're probably still running around doing it all in your own strength. I wholeheartedly recommend handing your life over to Jesus. Acknowledging that you yourself do not have what it takes to be right before a holy God. That if you come in with all your sin and all your shame, he will declare you guilty. Instead, if you come in with Jesus, he will declare Jesus guilty for all your sin. And you will be able to walk straight into the presence of God and the rest of God. You'll be able to come home. So I wholeheartedly recommend you doing that. But we also need to learn as a people, particularly in the kind of world we live in, to rest and to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy, to teach our children how to rest, to say that it's okay, I don't have everything, I haven't got what it takes, to give God space and time to let our bodies rest and recover. We need to practice the Sabbath. And both Stuart and I, we talk, we've, we talk about this regularly because we both work hard and love our jobs and love what we do. But we also have had to work out how to rest hard and make sure we've got time together and time off and time with God. And so we look together purposefully at how we make that happen and what we do. We talk to our kids about it, about how we make it happen and what we do, what we will do on that day, what we won't do on that day, what we will do on our nights off, what we won't do. We look at how to rest together and it is something we talk about and help each other with. So I recommend that. 
Part of the Sabbath is also that we would wait. We would wait. So God himself waited. I think, man, when the price was paid for sin on the Friday and God considered that enough, I think, man, were you not tempted just to raise him straight up from the grave and be done? Like, like in my personality type, that's what, when I read it, I think, man, would you not accept his offering and go, yep, yeah, we're all done. But God waited and waited for the Sunday. And sometimes we need to learn how to wait, even when it feels like all hope is lost, even when it feels painful, even when it feels like it's all gone horribly wrong. We need to learn how to wait. We need to learn how to keep our eyes on Jesus, keep our eyes on what the kingdom's up to, keep our eyes on what heaven is doing and not get so consumed with what's going on all around us. And I think it's something as the people of God that we've just got to get comfortable with waiting. And we don't do waiting at all. I don't wait for anything now. Everyone apologises now. I realise that. We were in McDonald's um, on Saturday. Yes, that is where I fed my kids on Saturday. My Sabbath, because I didn't want to cook. So um, we, we did a McDonald's lunch. And the, the woman apologised to me because I had to wait more than and I said oh my goodness like you don't need to apologize to me I said I'm quite happy standing here like you're cooking my food for me like I'm fine but I thought everywhere I go people apologize for being slow not getting it on time like there's a panic about us sometimes we need to slow it all down and wait and sometimes we can be in seasons where God teaches us how to wait for stuff and trains us in waiting. And it's those times when we have to pray, we have to cling on, we have to trust. And it's in those times that we grow up and you might be in a season like that right now. So I want to encourage you this morning. Men, if you are in the room, be the kind of men that Joseph was. Be the kind of man that Joseph was. He was a good and righteous man. He loved Jesus. He carried the kingdom in his heart, even when in his hands he handled death. He handled pain, disappointment. He carried God, carried the kingdom in his heart. He risked it all in order that he would do the right thing. And then he observed the Sabbath. He obeyed God's laws. And it isn't that Joseph was perfect in any way, shape or form. He just had made a decision to do all he could to observe the things that God has said. If you're a woman in the room, be like the women who were there on day one, day two and day three. Follow the Saviour wherever he goes. Worship your way through everything. No matter how painful, no matter how costly Keep your eyes on Jesus. Observe the Sabbath and learn how to rest. Women, like, like we need help with this. Observe the Sabbath and learn how to rest. Learn what it is to have your soul restored, your body restored. Learn, understand the things that you yourself love and engage your heart. Learn how to do these things. And lastly, let's be a people 
that observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Let's be a people that keep our eyes on the Saviour. Let's be a people that along with heaven count on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the things that really matter. The death of Jesus really matters. The rest and the Sabbath really matters. And the resurrection, like we follow a Saviour who is alive really matters. It matters to the world out there and it matters to us in here. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to worship. I recommend committing your hearts and your lives to him as you worship, bringing your pain, your disappointment, all that you handle in your hands that don't marry up with what you think God should be doing. I, I reckon you could put that before Jesus in worship And we could live lives that really count. We could do the things that really matter. And we could worship our way through whatever's going on. Does that sound good? Yes, I thought so too. Amen. Let's worship.